We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. I can't believe it. That Gerald is presenting the quarterly budget report with finger puppets? Look, here comes a 1.7% decrease in fixed overhead. Hello, everybody. No, I can't believe how easy it was to save hundreds of dollars on my car insurance with GEICO. Who are you? The projected increase in organic Q3 revenue. Hooray! Believe it, GEICO could save you 15% or more on car insurance. edition of the Fantasy Football Report, a Rotoviz radio news show covering the serious and mocking the ridiculous NFL news of the last week, brought to you by the FFPC. I'm Blair Andrews. You can follow me on Twitter at AmITheRealBlair, and my co-host is Hassan Rahim, who you can follow at HRR5010. Hassan, how's it going? Uh, you know, Blair, uh, enjoying the beginning of summer, and uh, really, I'm really missing the uh, start of the NFL season. Kind of excited because we've got, uh, you know, just a tremendous guest who joined us on the repo uh, the, last year in season. And I'm very, very excited to have a chance to talk to him again. Absolutely. Good friend of the show. Joining us today is Pat Fitzmorris. Pat is a contributor to thefootballgirl.com. And you can follow him on Twitter at Fitz underscore FF. Pat, thanks for joining us. How's it going? Blair and Hassan, it's going great. It's uh, so good to be back on with you guys. I, I am really a big fan of your show, and uh, it's going well because the Scott Fishbowl invitations are out, and we know where we're going to be drafting in some cases. And, uh, you know, finding that out kind of put a pep in my step. Uh, I, I drew the sixth pick in my draft, and uh, I always kind of like patrolling the middle, so I'm happy with that. And, uh, you know, with the SFB right around the corner, it does feel like it is almost 
draft season. So that is reason to be happy. Definitely. Is there someone you're targeting at uh, 106 that you really have your eye on this season? Boy, I was just thinking about that. So, you know, in addition to the big four with Barkley and Zeke and McCaffrey and Kamara, like I think David Johnson is also justifiably a a top of the first round, top half of the first round guy. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I'm not really a tight end in the first round guy, but the Scott Fishbowl is a tight end premium league. You know, Scott Fish loves him some tight end premium every year. The SFB is tight end premium. And man, I mean, Travis Kelsey really does have first round value in a tight end premium. And I might not even get that choice at one Oh six. Like I could see him going top three or four hmm. in some draft. So, um, you know, he'd be a consideration there. And, and again, I'm not normally a reach high for tight end guy, but I do have a pretty good history with Kelsey. It seems like whenever I get him, those teams have done pretty well for me in the past. So uh, he might be tempting. I, I guess it's like one of those five running backs or Kelsey. It's interesting. What about you yeah. guys? Do you I know have, where you're picking? Yeah, I have the 104, which uh, I guess I'm hoping is going to be Kamara. I'm assuming Barkley and McCaffrey are gone, and I'm not as big a Zeke fan, so... Um, Hoping someone in the top three takes Zeke and I'll get Kamara. But uh, yeah, the I mean, with the tight end premium, there's always I mean, top four is tough for <laughs> for Kelsey. But with the uh, bonus scoring this year, I think that's probably going to help separate these top tight ends from kind of the rest of the guys that you don't expect to get 50 yards every every game. So that's tempting. You guys are forgetting it's also super flex, and uh, there's a possibility Mahomes goes in the first, you know? Oh, boy. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, that I'm is at the 108. I just, in a super flex, actually 2QB mock I'm doing, I somehow got Mahomes at 212, which <laughs> just kind of stunned me. And, um, you know, with the Tyreek Hill ambiguity, I don't know if you could justify him going like in the upper reaches of the first round, like maybe late in the first round in that. But um, I guess that's kind of another reason I like being in the middle with the uh, Scott Fishbowl being a super flex. Like I really like being able to sort of control the quarterback position a little bit more. And I think that's hard to do when you're on one of the ends. And, um, you know, it can kind of get away from you if you decide to get cute and maybe, you know, attack other positions and suddenly there's a big run on the quarterbacks and, uh, you know, suddenly you're looking at an Andy Dalton, uh, Mitch Trubisky combo or something like that. Not that I hate Mitch, I guess. In <laughs> fact, I think I had him on my Scott fish fishbowl team last year, but, um, you know, it's, it's just easy to let that position get away from you if you're on one of the ends. And there's also that uh, penalty, uh, heavier penalty for ints and pick sixes. Oh, that's right. I forgot, which uh, didn't do me too well with Eli Manning as my third quarterback last year. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's uh, get right into the news. First item, NBC Sports' Matt Mayoko believes one of Tevin Coleman, Jarek McKinnon, or Matt Breida will be a healthy scratch in the regular season. So, uh, Pat, how do you see this 49ers backfield playing out this upcoming season and do you think there's a possibility any one of these guys might be uh moved might be traded given the kind of overabundance of 
talent they appear to have. Yeah. And, well, uh, first of all, like Matt Mayoka really knows his stuff. I know Matt a little bit. And he is, um, you know, if he's reporting that, I'm guessing it's not just speculation. And it's probably him, uh, you know, with some pretty good information from a team source. And just looking at the numbers game, it, it seems logical that if they did keep all those guys around, that one of them would be inactive on game days because, you know, with the, the three of Coleman and McKinnon and Burita, and then also um, Raheem Mostart, who is a, a key special teams contributor for them, and uh, Kyle Juszczyk is also going to be active. So, like, having all of those guys active plus the fullback and Mostert just seems like a little much. Um, I don't know whether they would be able to get anything at all for McKinnon. Um, and, and maybe the way they look at it with McKinnon's injury history and with, you know, Brita getting banged up on multiple occasions last year, maybe they're sort of looking at it as those two uh equaling one healthy back, I guess. And uh, like, they're going to need that numbers game in the backfield. So I also think McKinnon's contract is such that it would be kind of difficult to cut him. I think they'd take like a a 6 million hit in dead cap space. Um, So I I don't know if they're going to swing a trade. I don't know if they're going to cut McKinnon. Um, you know, I, I think it might be more a case of what Matt is talking about, where one of these guys is inactive. And, um, you know, it's it, this just looks like a real messy committee. And I think people have to tread really lightly in uh, in drafts this year when they're considering these three guys. Yeah, I'm kind of was kind of bummed during the draft when they actually went out and drafted Jalen Hurd, if only because uh, I thought. What they're what they're getting Jalen Hurd to do is something that McKinnon could have morphed into, and that you know could have departed him a little bit out of the slot as a receiver. You know, pure speed option with having Coleman or Breda in the backfield type of thing. Maybe run some jet sweeps because uh, you know McKinnon's athleticism is something that can't be taught. It's a bit of a bummer um, in that we you know we, we're getting this report. Uh, the only reason uh, I think the, the the trade question would be kind of interesting in that uh, you know they will be eating dead cap if they if they you know got McKinnon or, or trade him, but they've got cap space to spare, and I wonder if it almost makes sense for them to to instead of you know have this overabundance of like you know talented RBs in the backfield where they have to declare one a scratch, um, assuming they can guarantee that uh, you know uh, McKinnon and Braid are able to stay healthy, it would seem like a bit. A bit wasteful in the resources, and you know, just wondering if they were able to like move that down, and get some like picks down the line. But you know, just after hearing everything you said, it seems like a very long. It seems like a long shot, and hopefully, there's going to be clarity coming by week one or week two of preseason, uh, in that everyone stays healthy and it's not because of an injury. Yeah, it's it's interesting you mentioned herd too because I remember talking to Thor Nystrom of Roto World about him in the run-up to the draft and how, you know, he was so impressed by Hurd as a ball carrier. And I do think Kyle Shanahan is kind of into this uh, positionless football sort of concept on offense where, you know, he's got guys like Juszczyk who can, you know, motion out wide and, you know, a fullbacks who catch passes and, and receivers who can, 
you know, line up a running back like Hurd and, you know, guys like Burita and McKinnon who've got all this passing game versatility. So, um, you know, maybe you're right with the, the cap space. They do have, like, it's not out of the question if they just see too much of a numbers crunch. Um, you know, they could get rid of McKinnon, but it it is interesting what they're going to be able to do with all these different pieces. Uh, I just think it makes it a little messy from the, the fantasy perspective. And it seems like Brita is maybe the guy who might be the, the one somewhat intriguing value here, just because I thought he was so, you know, impressive when he wasn't getting banged up last year and, you know, averaging like six yards a, a touch or whatever it is and being, you know, good in both the running game and the passing game. Um, so I'm kind of intrigued with him if you can get him late. But um, I know it, it seems like this situation is still sort of developing as far as what they might do with their roster. and That could affect draft values as we head toward August. Yeah, I was about to ask if there were any guys that you, any guys in this backfield you would consider in, you know, actually drafting. And um, Brita, I agree, he's probably the most intriguing just because, I mean, not only did he look good last year, but he's also seen his ADP fall pretty quickly just in the last uh, few months or something. I mean, you know, in the last uh, few weeks even, he's been drafted a couple times outside the top 200 picks in FFPC best ball leagues it looks like so uh yeah i mean at the right price i think i probably want to try get to get at least one of these guys on my team and the only one who's really at the right price right now is brita so yeah the the niners just rack up uh like they they, they just like i mean this kyle uh shanahan like uh, is it zone read am i saying this right uh i like my X of the nose is terrible, but <laughs> I like, like, but I can tell you that they're tremendous at racking up rushing expected points and converting those expected points into actual fantasy points. And just like wherever he goes, it's like this gigantic like boon to the backfield. So you want one of these guys on your roster. It's just the question of uh, uh, for for best ball, not too worried. When it comes down to structured head to head leagues, where you actually have to make set start decisions very worried and that's i think that's where like brita's like value like if he if it's able to remain fairly depressed he'll make like what like your fourth or fifth bench guy which pretty good yeah yeah it might be one of those situations where you don't want to be the first guy to grab a san francisco running back but maybe if you get you know the second or third guy later at a value um you know not a not a bad end of the bench guy to have Speaking of backfields where we're looking to grab uh, their pieces a little bit later than, uh, you know, the first guy off the board. NFL Network's Mike Yardy reports uh, Sony Michelle has been running at full tilt recently. Uh, Bat, you know, Michelle seems to be making quick progress from his uh, knee scope. Uh, where have you considered drafting Michelle in best ball leagues this year? And um, again, w- how do you think this backfield shakes out? Because this is another one of those, uh, you know, nebulous backfields where... It's difficult to project who's going to get the volume. Oh, man, in basketball. So I think I've done about 10 so far. And I'm not – I re- vaguely remember that I was looking at Sony in one of them. Like there was actually one point I was considering him, and I'm not sure if I wound up taking him or not. But otherwise, I thought he's been kind of grossly overpriced, actually. Like he's not the kind of guy I'm really looking at in best balls just because he – 
doesn't hold a lot of promise as a pass catcher. I mean, not that he can't catch passes, but you know, the the Patriots obviously have James White, who they love, and um, you know, now they had Damian Harris, who's a capable pass catcher, and they've Rex Burkhead, um, you know, and they've got this stacked backfield. And I I know there's a lot. There are a lot of fantasy points to go around, especially with no Gronk now, and they're probably going to get even run heavier, and they like to play at a pretty fast pace. So, you know, this is a backfield that can support multiple contributors, I think. But, I mean, people still have Sony's late-season bell cow usage fresh in their minds, and not to mention his TD binge down the stretch. So I think the price... It's just going to stay a little too high. And, um, you know, the stuff about the knee does not seem to have uh, scared people off the way I thought it might. Um, So, yeah, and it kind of pains me because, like, Sony was a guy I really liked coming out of college and was excited about. And, you know, I got – I was fairly heavily invested in him last year, but, like – now I kind of want to go to the cashier window and just like cash out those chips, I think, and, you know, leave the casino and go up to the hotel room and get room service and, you know, not dabble that much in Sony Michelle this year. Yeah, I kind of agree. I mean, one interesting thing about if you were doing best ball, you know, all off season last year, it was hard to get Sony Michelle after the draft until and I'm pretty late in the off season when things about his knee started looking a little bit worse and then his ADP started to fall so you know it was possible to get him last year in like mm, the eighth round in some late best balls or uh maybe even later but and that I think is kind of a good ish value that's kind of where Damian Harris is going now but uh yeah now the backfield is a lot more crowded so yeah I think you're right these guys Michelle and probably James White too are just a little a little too uh a little too rich, even considering what uh, you can expect out of this, out of this backfield. I mean, you know, by the same token, Rex Burkhead is like you can get him as the very last pick in the draft. So he's someone who, I mean, even if you don't expect him to have much of a role after they brought in Harris, he's basically free. So I think if you're gonna go anywhere in this backfield, I still like Burkhead. Yeah, I mean, the the, the worry with with Burkhead is that he's not gonna make the final roster. Hmm. But uh, I haven't I haven't looked at their depth chart just yet. Um, but I, I can't see why they wouldn't have him. I believe that they'd owe him like a one, like like a. But they'd have to pay a cap penalty if they were to get rid of him. But you know, again, it could be a situation wherein he's the healthy scratch. Um, yeah, looking at looking at uh, the Patriots' depth chart right now. Uh, We've got James, James Delvin, the fullback, Brandon Bolden, Nick Brissett, and then the other three that we mentioned, Damon Harris, James White, Sonny Michelle. So it's quite possible that they end up, you know, uh, so I guess maybe the camp battle to watch here is Brandon Bolden versus Burkhead. Because I think James Delvin would be making the the active roster. Yeah, does Bolden do special teams for them too? I, uh, yeah, I want to say yes, yeah. which is tough. He has in the past for That's sure. That's what I thought, yeah. And, uh, you know, then occasionally shows up with the 100-yard game. Uh, <laughs> I remember last year, that was like the one NFL Sunday I could not be in front of the TV. Um, 
I forget where I was driving, but like I'm listening to radio reports of this. I'm like, wait, I, this can't actually be happening. I'm not actually seeing this, but Brandon Bolden is going berserk with a rushing game. What? What's going on? <laughs> um, yeah, so with the Michelle thing, I, I just, like you guys said, I mean, it, it's just hard to see that bell cow usage continue, even though like that was the way they chose to use him last year. I mean, just for one thing, it, it might have been like a stroke of good fortune that he was physically able to withstand that sort of workload for a stretch of, you know, a month and a half or two months or, or however long they were sort of in that 20 carry a game mode for him. Um, so, I mean, that that's the one thing. And then just the fact that they have these other options now and, you know, I, I guess Damian Harris really being this main option and, and, you know, feels like surely they had Sony Michelle's knee condition in mind when they made that draft pick. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing that comes to mind is the uh, great best ball series. Sean Siegel has been doing on the site where he uh, goes into some depth on the win rates. And it turns out that picking a running back in, I guess either the third or the fourth round of your best ball draft has been uh, pretty disastrous over the last uh, four years so it's not a range where I think you should necessarily be looking to take a running back anyway I don't know if that's because it's um, you know something to do with the running backs were there or if it's you know avoiding wide receiver in that range is really putting you at a disadvantage but for whatever reason yeah running backs who tend to be drafted in that range usually don't don't uh, pan out that well yeah it seems like that's kind of a core tenet of Sean's philosophy, right? Like either get the running backs in the first 15 to 20 picks Mm -hmm. and then just kind of sit out the position until like the sixth or seventh round. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Before we get into no shit, shit, no, I want to remind everyone that you can get a listeners only 10% discount to a Rotoviz NFL pass through the NFL podcast homepage, rotoviz.com slash podcast. Your subscription gives you unlimited access to all our premium NFL content. And best of all, it supports the podcast. And as a thank you for your awesome support, we have a Rotoviz NFL pass to give away. All you need to do is enter. Nope. All you need to do to enter is to subscribe and rate the Rotoviz radio channel on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Do us a solid and hit that rate button. And in doing so, you gain an entry to our giveaway. Each Rotoviz podcast you rate and review will count as an entry. So the more reviews you put in, the more chance you have to win. And there's another cool thing. If any current Rotoviz subscriber wins, they will have an additional year added to their current subscription. So there's a little, there's really no reason not to enter. The winner will be announced on an upcoming show. So rate and review the Rotoviz Radio Network on uh, Apple Podcasts and enter now. Let's consider the secret life of the innermost nesting doll. Living most of her life in the dark inside the other nesting dolls, she has plenty of time to think, if she could. Sadly, she has no brain. However, when an innermost nesting doll hears that Geico not only saves people money, but also has been providing great service for over 75 years, she thinks it's obvious you should switch. Because yes, switching to Geico is a no-brainer. Pity the innermost nesting doll and her lot in life. Geico presents yet another voicemail from your roommate. So, about the kitchen. Turns out, when there's a grease fire, you're not supposed to throw water on it. <laughs> Who would have known, right? Anyways, the fire department is here, and it's totally cool. Give me a call back when you get a chance. 
The GEICO Insurance Agency could help keep your personal property protected, like if danger is your roommate's middle name. Visit GEICO.com to see how easy it is to switch and save on renter's insurance. All right, now let's get into no shit shit no. First item up. Amari Cooper told Pro Football Talk's Mike Florio his goal is to reach 2,000 yards receiving in 2019. I'll say shit no to that, uh, but I, I do like him, even if his... Uh, perception of of numbers is skewed like it is with so many of these players and and coaches who you know think that uh a running back can average 25 to 30 carries a game and that you know adrian peterson thinking he's in line for a 2000 yard season um i do like amari's chances to get to 2000 yards more than adrian peterson but uh not a great chance for either one but still i like I guess I've kind of been an Amari truther like back when he was on the Raiders and people used to hold his numbers up against Michael Crabtree's and point out that Crabtree had the better touchdown numbers consistently. I was always on team Amari back then. And, um, you know, he he definitely like, I don't know. It it was like he got a new uh, breath of life when he went to Dallas and, and just, you know, produced in those nine games and Cowboys went seven and two and Amari was putting up good numbers. I think it was like what over 700 yards and like six touchdowns. And now I kind of want to see what the Dallas offense looks like with Kellen Moore as the new offensive coordinator. Um, You know, maybe it's going to be a little less grounded and pound because I get the feeling that, you know, Kellen Moore has certainly been influenced by, his coach at Boise State, Chris Peterson, and like those were not boring offenses at Boise State. Like those were, you know, some of the funnest college offenses of that era. And, um, you know, Amari's shown in the past that he's pretty adaptable, lining up on the left, on the right, in the slot, outside. So if Kellen Moore uses some of that creativity, um, you know, that he used to have when he was quarterbacking Boise state, it's going to be interesting. I mean, I, I do think like Amari has, um, you know, upper wide receiver one upside and I'm like really interested in him for this year. Yeah. I'm with you. I'm also an Amari truther. I actually wrote an article about uh, Amari last year before the season started called uh, Amari groupers and a dark horse candidate to lead the lead in targets. And uh, and it was a, and it was a, uh, you know I rationalized his down 2017. Uh, what a lot of people uh, forgot was that he played through injury for a lot of the year. And then in the one game, the one game that he started where he was not listed on the injury report, he went off against the Kansas City Chief on Thursday night, uh, just for 300 yards and there's two touchdowns and just just you know ruined anybody's fantasy weeks who played uh, against him if you were fortunate enough to start him that week. And then he took a very nasty hit from, I think, a keep to leave in that Denver Broncos game and uh, suffered a horrible concussion. It really looked like it was ter- terrible to watch live. And uh, he was just ineffective for the rest of the season. Uh, last, again, even when he was with Oakland, he did put up, you know, a couple of wide receiver one games. Um, the bigger issue, and this sort of comes down to... Um, uh, Derek Carr is that he uh, really didn't target um, 
Amari. He was always looking for a safer checkdown option. And Jared Cook is a very talented receiving tight end, and he offered him just as big a target in the middle of the field to where he didn't have to throw the ball down the field. Now, people are of the belief that, you know, Derek Carr is some sort of gunslinging quarterback, um, but he's not. He's actually a more conservative, less mobile version of Alex Smith. So uh, he's, you know, so he's throwing the ball to, to, to Jared Cook, which is deep for him, you know, like uh, seven yards down the field, or he's dumping it off to Jalen Richard in the flat. And, uh, you know, it's not like... Uh, it's not like Derek Carr does a you know particularly good job under pressure either. Um, uh, the uh, he's very uh, he's incapable of extending plays, and um, it, it didn't really work out all that well. Uh, you know when Amari went to Dallas and he walked in off the street like him and Dak didn't have an offseason to practice together, and uh, you know I remember this very clearly. It was just basically like what's this guy going to do here? And like the thing is is that when Amari sees volume. He absolutely crushes, and that can be said about pretty much any player in the league. But Amari puts up these like ridiculous video game numbers, if only because when he was coming out as a prospect, you know, he was like the closest thing that we had to a Julio Jones, AJ Green player. And I don't think that people recognize how difficult it is to have that size-speed combo and be an adept elite wide receiver one. And Amari is one of the few that we actually have in that in that vein. And, uh, you know, I mean, he just like, I mean, he uh, matched up on uh, purplayerprofile.com. He spent 72.3% uh, uh, of the snaps, I think, li- lined up against Josh Norman in week 12. He went off for eight catches, 180 yards and two touchdowns against him. Against Marshawn Lattimore, he um, caught all eight of his targets for 75 yards. You know, I mean, like, it's not like he's like doesn't uh, do particularly poorly against like these elite cornerbacks. He does fairly well. He just needs volume, and I think he's got like a fairly good quarterback in Dak. However, uh, like you mentioned about Kellen Moore and just like this offense being exciting, I am excited about the prospects of Michael Gallup this season. He showed quite a bit when Amari came on. Like Gallup was allowed to not be one of the the main veins of the passing game. Um, uh, like they were using him as he worked really well as a compliment, like with Amari's presence on the field, it became a bit of a tie that lifts all boats. The offense played faster and, uh, you know, like Dak had an actual two receivers to throw to, as opposed to Alan Hearns and Cole Beasley and these other guys. Like, I think, I think Randall Cobb is not really a threat and uh, I'm genuinely very excited to see how this offense plays out. Russell Wilson has been encouraged by how quickly second-round wide receiver DK Metcalf has picked up the Seahawks' offense. Um, I'll say no shit that Russell Wilson would say that, but uh, I don't know. With DK Metcalf's limited game experience in college and with Seattle being sort of run-heavy, you know, and with Lockett and David Moore being there, um, I'm, I'm not wildly optimistic that Metcalf's physical gifts are going to, you know, instantly translate to a major rookie impact. Um, you know, obviously he's very intriguing, and um, you know, in, in Dynasty, I'm interested in what he's going to do. But I think he might be kind of a slower developing young wide receiver. Uh, you know, just because we did not see. Um, really him put up great numbers at Ole Miss. I mean, it was uh, A.J. Brown who was putting up the big numbers, and I don't know. I, I think it might take a little time with him. 
Um, you know, obviously with his combination of size and speed, um, you know, if, if the light does go on, so to speak, he could be a difference maker, but um, I'm not betting on that in his rookie year. Do you think um, Do you think we'll have anyone emerge from this kind of passing game apart from Lockett, maybe? Uh, if not Metcalf, is there another receiver besides Lockett you're looking at? So, I mean... If if I was going to if I was going to project these guys, I mean, I, I would project David Moore to have better numbers than DK Metcalf. But I mean, ultimately, I think DK Metcalf is going to be ranked higher on my individual draft board because if he does, I mean, his upside I think is substantially higher than. Moore's, you know, Moore might have a nice season, but I mean, Metcalf, if, if he does just catch fire as a rookie, like he could put up big numbers. So I, it, it's all kind of about draft value. And the thing is, I mean, you can get David Moore so late in best balls. I mean, he keeps finding his way onto my best ball rosters. So even though I think I do have Metcalf ranked a little higher than Moore at the moment, like I think Moore is the better draft value. So, I don't know. Ultimately, I I don't see either of these guys as being like thousand yard or even nine hundred yard, uh, you know, likelihoods. But, um, you know, I I think they're both capable of contributing. Um, you know, and I, but I I do think like Lockett is really the only guy I'm I'm looking at as a guy. I could potentially see starting in a season long league this year. What about you guys? Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, Lockett really is the only guy I'm, I'm really looking at very seriously more, more I think is interesting just because he's very cheap. Um, one guy who's getting some buzz that, uh, court Smith actually just wrote up on Rotoviz is, uh, John Ursua, who's kind of the uh, anti-DK Metcalf, right? He's like 5'10", 170, and runs a 4.5640 or something, but uh, scored, I don't know, 16 touchdowns last year at University of Hawaii and like over 1,300 yards, so um, kind of a slot guy. But uh, yeah, he's, uh, I guess he was a seventh-round pick, so I haven't even been paying attention to him, but, you know, Praise from Pete Carroll at this time of year is basically meaningless, but still maybe <laughs> worth uh, moving him on to your, I don't know, the very end of your watch list. Yeah, and I, I suppose we should probably like um, consider Gary Jennings as a possible mm-hmm. contributor, too. I know. I like I have, him. Yeah, I have a friend who uh, whose brother is a big college football fan, and this guy's a, a high school football coach, and he thinks highly of Gary Jennings. So he... he Tells me not to sleep on Gary Jennings. So, I don't know. Maybe that's another possible contributor as a rookie. At this point, we might as well just touch on this guy. Jerron Brown was getting has been reported uh, to be seeing some work as a member of the first team. So, it sounds like, uh, the, you know, Seattle is just working out their entire receiver room uh, here just to figure out exactly uh, what they're going to do now that Baldwin is gone. Um it's it's going to be interesting in that uh, that 
I believe that that is going to be a very gross committee. And outside of, you know, like right now sitting in, in, in June, like uh, outside of best ball, it's, it's very difficult to want any of these guys. I think Gary Jennings makes for a good stash just in Dynasty um, in general. He was drafted in the fourth round. He's fairly productive. And his comps in the box score scored it pretty good. He was on, uh, he, he transferred to West Virginia from Minnesota. And he uh, uh, did a fairly good job even with David Sills on that roster. And he was, you know, drafted higher. Um, I, I, think, I think your friend's on to something here. So I think uh, maybe if you've got, you know, waivers or something, just check them for Gary Jennings here. Marvin Jones missed the entire offseason program. Um, yeah, no shit. That's, uh, it sounds like Marvin Jones doesn't exactly see eye to eye with the coaching staff in Detroit. The thing is, I mean, after Galladay, um, I know Danny Amendola is in Detroit now, and I know they expect TJ Hawkinson to be involved in their passing game, but it does seem like they need Marvin Jones and, uh, maybe it's, sort of an uneasy relationship between he and team management. But, um, you know, I, uh, Marvin Jones is still a pretty good receiver. And, uh, you know, it doesn't sound like anything that's going to put him in danger landing on the pup list. So, uh, you know, even though he missed that time, I guess I'm not really significantly downgrading him. I mean, I still see him as like a wide receiver three type. Um yeah, I mean, not an ideal situation just because they look to be run heavy and because Galladay, you know, could be an alpha wide receiver in the making. But, um, you know, Marvin Jones is still a viable fantasy asset, I think. Jake Butt anticipates that he'll be ready for next month's training camp. Um, yeah, I guess no shit, but uh, that's not a real promising uh, depth chart, I think. I mean, no offense, probably going to get overdrafted in some leagues just because he was, uh, you know, a, a rookie with some draft capital behind him. But rookie tight ends, um, generally pretty poor investments. And, you know, Fent was just kind of so badly outproduced by Hawkinson at Iowa. And, um, I mean, God, they've they've had just such a messy depth chart at tight end for so long now with, well, you know, adding Fant to this, uh, basically the same group they've had for a while now with Jake Butts and Jeff Hireman and uh, my guy, shout out to ex-Badger Troy Fumagalli. Um, so, yeah, I just can't imagine really any anyone from that group being, uh, you know, a, a week-in, week-out starter for fantasy owners this year. Yeah, I wanted to ask a little bit about like Fant. Uh, I it feels weird, but like, do you think that like Fant, his receiving prowess is it overstated, or is it just that like um you know like maybe he is a candidate to like emerge as a as a vi- like a, this year's Evan Ingram in that uh, I don't know how big of a threat you view Tim Patrick or uh, Deshaun Hamilton or if you think uh, Manny Sanders avoids Bob. Like, I don't, I mean, I, I think Manny Sanders will be on pop. And I, I think, you know, it's going to be mainly Sutton and Hamilton and, and Tim Patrick. And, like, I don't know if they have any dark horses on that um, 
wide receiver core beyond that it, it's really like one of the weaker pass catching groups i think in the league overall um you know it, but it could be one of those things where like a multiple receivers or excuse me multiple tight ends get snaps in this offense and you know like a bunch of different guys getting a couple of catches a game um i know that hawkinson was like a much better performer last year for Iowa and while Fant is like really athletic like I don't know there were some shortcomings in his game um Thornistrom I know who uh, I had mentioned earlier of Roto World like loves Hawkinson thinks Hawkinson is like you know a, a possible Gronkowski in the making and you know pointed out a lot of the shortcomings in in fans game like not always good in traffic not always reliable hands um you know didn't didn't really uh wasn't always strong like through contact after making a catch like he had some some questions about fans game and you know thought he was kind of a real boomer bust guy so um you know there's opportunity here for sure but you know We've seen so many rookie tight ends, like even more heralded than fans, uh, come up and like strike out in their rookie season. So I guess I'm not real optimistic and not real eager to invest right away. Yeah, we didn't even bother mentioning the quarterback. Who's Joe Flacco? No. <laughs> well, I guess he does like throwing to his tight ends. So that could be a, a something in fans' favor. <laughs> Washington coach Jay Gruden said second-year wide receiver Trey Quinn has taken over the inside slot role. Yeah, um, no shit. I mean, I, I think it cost right now. Like, Trey Quinn might be the only Washington guy I'm interested in at all. I don't know how you guys feel about that, but, like, really none of the other wide receivers interest me. Um, you know, Jordan Reed at the right price, but you got to wonder if he even has the explosive athleticism anymore after all the injuries and now that he's getting a little older um but yeah like it it seems like someone has to overperform adp in that wide receiver group or that pass catching group and it, it seems like quinn is by far the best bat yeah i'd agree with that i have no interest in pretty much any other wide receiver except maybe Paul Richardson but uh, I mean they're all you know outside the top 250 picks in best ball leagues so in FFPC best ball league so uh, it's not like you have to spend a lot to get any of them so uh, yeah Trey Quinn is definitely interesting as uh, someone who could probably lead that team in targets yeah I mean is is there a more bleak team overall in terms of you know providing usable fantasy assets than than washington this year i mean and i i want to like guys but you know now that's so messy with guys and peterson and you know maybe chris thompson if he could stay healthy and i don't know just i mean i want to like i want to like haskins but you know he's probably not gonna not gonna thrive right away and the fact that he doesn't really run, I don't know. It just seems like a team I want to kind of avoid for the most part. 
Falcons coach Dan Quinn said Devonta Freeman has looked like himself this offseason. Um, I'll say no shit, and uh, for their sake, I hope he does, because behind him, I mean, if it's Ito Smith and, and Brian Hill, like, they really need Devonta to stay healthy. And um, I don't know. He, he's a guy I'm kind of torn on this year. Like, I'm not quite sure how I should be regarding him and maybe he falls into that Sean Siegel dead zone as a guy you don't want to be drafting in the third or fourth round uh or yeah and I I just know he kind of blew up in my face in the Scott Fishball last year when I thought he was going to help me and uh give me a nice combination with Alvin Kamara in the backfield and that just did not pan out so um I don't know what do you guys think of Freeman for this year I kind of liked him a little bit before everyone realized that the that the Falcons invested in O linemen and um, and that they didn't draft a running back and that Devin Coleman's gone, so his price sort of went up after people were like, "Wow, all these changes have been made." So I uh, kind of banked uh, some of the earlier uh, late fourth, early fifth Freeman picks uh, in best ball. Uh, you know, when I would start from the front end, so I'd go. You know, one of uh, the four elite RBs in the in the first four picks, and wide receiver, wide receiver, wide receiver, and Freeman, or however you would go. But it's just I can't. I've seen him go. It's a very wide range where he's going, and it's anywhere between the mid second to like mid fourth. And it's just one of those points where, like you said, I just don't know if he falls in this weirdo dead zone, and it's I gotta either take him earlier than where I'd like to take him, or uh, end up not really having much of him. I kind of like Edo Smith's price, but. I like that you mentioned Brian Hill because he's a guy who I could see stepping in. But also, uh, you know, if, if Freeman were to miss time, but, but uh, they also drafted Quadri Allison as a guy who I wrote up a little bit over in um, uh, during the, the road of his prospect season. And he profiles a little bit as a, as a pretty good grinder in the event that um, they need someone big just to carry the mail. So it'll be interesting to see how they treat Freeman because, uh, again, this is a team that has playoff designs and I don't know if they want to risk not having Freeman for most of the season, if he was to break down yet again, or like, well, I guess not yet again, but all, you know, just in a, a matter of like overwork, you know, like we've seen a lot of teams trend towards uh, more running back by committee approaches. And I, and I wonder if this is one where uh, one of uh, Allison or uh, Hill uh, sees a little bit of work in junk time or something. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that would have to be the case if, you know, Freeman had any further concussion issues. And uh, I'm glad you mentioned Allison. I totally forgot about him. Um, and like you said, he is in kind of an interesting grinder type. Um, I don't know. Maybe I have been brainwashed by Matt Kelly, who I know was on your show a couple of weeks ago and is kind of a big Brian Hill advocate. So uh, <laughs> maybe that caused me to forget about Allison for a minute. Yes, the Brian Hill show. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we loved Brian Hill. Neil, Neil Dutton wrote a really good post on Brian Hill shortly following that. That's right. I, yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting that, like, and he did kind of get, like, a little bit of a chance uh, last year. Didn't he have, like, some late-season cameo? Uh, so it's it's nice that, you know, maybe the door has not totally slammed on him just yet. And, you know, especially since... You know, it's not the the greatest depth chart, I guess, behind Freeman. Um, 
So I don't know. It's it's possible that he could still factor in there, I guess. Brian Costello of the New York Post noted Ty Montgomery had a strong spring. All right, this is a big shit no for me because <laughs> I know a lot of analysts are able to put aside their fandom, but uh, I kind of wear my Packer fandom on my sleeve. And pretty much ever since uh, Ty Montgomery defied coaches' orders and brought that kickoff out of the end zone against the Rams after uh, – Packers had closed to, um, I think, within a touchdown, and we're going to get Aaron Rodgers the ball back with whatever it was, about two minutes left or just under two minutes left, and Montgomery brings a ball from eight yards deep out of the end zone, fumbles it, and the game's pretty much over. So, yeah, I know people were interested in him and his versatility and the skill set a couple of years ago, but now he is buried behind Le'Veon Bell. And, uh, you know, again, after that fumble, dead to me. So <laughs> let, let's just move on. <laughs> this is actually interesting because the Jets brought Bilal Powell back after what was a very nasty uh, neck injury. Elijah Maguire is still there. D'Angelo Henderson's hanging out, and so is Trenton Cannon, who had a pretty strong preseason last year. There's a very outside shot of Montgomery making this team, personally speaking. But can we, for the love of God, get this running back to stop wearing the number 88? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, I mean... You know, I thought actually for a while that was maybe the coolest thing about Ty Montgomery that, you know, the Packers kept handing the ball to number 88. Um, yeah, God, yeah, they, they did bring Bilal Powell back, didn't they? That, that's the Bilal Powell thing. I've, I've got on Twitter who keeps asking me, like telling me, like he has to cut someone in his dynasty league and he keeps asking me about Bilal Paul. I'm like, yes, cut Bilal Paul. He's like, no, I, I still think he could be like their third down guy. I'm like, dude, they have Le'Veon Bell now. Like, <laughs> You can safely get rid of Bilal Paul. They have, and they have Jamison Crowder and Elijah McGuire showed enough last year. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it, it's interesting. Do they really need this many pieces to back up? Le'Veon Bell, you know, it's it's interesting. I wonder who is not going to survive the final cut there and whether they might latch on somewhere else. For sure, Dan Montgomery, and I don't know if he's latching on anywhere else. Certainly not back in Green Bay. He's not welcome. <laughs> yeah. Jalen Samuel said he worked on speed this offseason to become a better pure runner. Um, Interesting. No shit, yeah, because he... As it is, I mean, I think, uh, according to profile, like profiler, like an 83 percentile speed score as a 225 pounder running like a four five. So, um, you know, I like this guy. It's, it's interesting this time of year in May and June, the holy wars that are fought over certain players on Twitter between fantasy analysts you know we saw dallas goddard's a debate rage over him unexpectedly the backup tight end for the eagles and uh james connor it seems like uh, is a guy who's definitely like um sort of a, a perception guy for people like people either see him as like a trap or as this you know yes of course he's an rb1 and um i guess i'm, I'm not calling James Conner a trap, 
But, like, I think Jalen Samuels is pretty legit. Like, he showed late last season that he's really good. And I was just so intrigued by the Swiss Army knife role he played for NC State in college. You know, getting almost 200 catches over his last three seasons with the Wolfpack. And, um, you know, also factoring into the running game and, like, just what kind of an interesting weapon he could be for the Steelers. I just don't think they can stuff that genie back into the bottle, even if they have this history of really feeding their running backs in this bell cow role. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of excited to hear that. And, um, you know, Samuels is the guy I'm definitely looking to take later in drafts this year. One guy I've been looking at in this backfield just because I kind of liked him as a or in college is Benny Snell. Um, but I mean, yeah, with Samuels getting the buzz, and I also I also am a James Conner fan. It's getting hard to figure out what to do here. Um, yeah, I don't know any interest in Snell at all. Kind of. I mean, I I know he's not. You know, he is a between the tackles grinder, and he's slow or whatever. But I mean, he was largely the Kentucky offense and you know I he was certainly impressive on tape and I know like the testing numbers are not real appealing but apparently the team really likes him and yeah I mean I don't know if this is going to be a full-on committee I mean I think Connor is still the dean of this group by far but you know I I don't think it's going to be a one-man show you know, I, I think these other two guys could factor in for sure. And, uh, you know, I, that's not to say that Connor does not deserve to be drafted as an RB1, but, like, I wouldn't get too far out over my skis on him. And, I like, I just can't spend a first-round pick on James Connor. If he's around early to mid-second, fine. But I just, like, I can't take him with one of my first 12 picks. Corey Coleman is the front runner for the Giants' number three receiver job heading into camp. I guess this is a no shit. I mean, it's like Cody Latimer and uh, oh, Russell Shepard. And let me see if I can remember these guys off the top of my head. Benny Fowler. Um, oh, man, there's some rookie there, too. Darius Slayton. Is that the rookie? Yeah, it's just this mm. weird depth chart there. And, you know, I know there was hope for Corey Coleman and Cody Latimer just a couple of years ago based on the athleticism. But if anyone is going to coax uh, latent talent out of a heretofore underachieving third wide receiver, fourth wide receiver, it is not going to be Eli Manning. So uh, yeah, maybe they would be number three, but, in this offense, that really doesn't mean that much. Mike Williams expects to have an expanded role this season. I'm actually going to go shit no on this, even though I like Mike Williams. I am kind of worried about the target situation for him. Um, with Keenan Allen being there and with Hunter Henry being healthy and with you know Gordon and Eckler factoring into the passing game, it just... It doesn't seem like this is going to be a team that's going to be in um, desperation game scripts very often. Like, I mean, I think the Chargers look loaded 
on defense and uh, for the most part, offense. Like, I don't know if their offensive line is great, but other than that, like, that might be their one unit that isn't, like, above average to top of the league good. Like, the Chargers, to me, look like prime to be a Super Bowl contender. And with, you know, favorable game scripts, a target hog already in place in Keenan Allen and Hunter Henry, like, it's hard for me to see... Mike Williams getting you know, 100 targets. Like I, I think he's going to be right around like 90 targets this year, and that kind of makes, you know, a, a major fantasy role kind of a stretch. And he's good, man. I mean, I think everyone saw in that December game against the Chiefs on Thursday night when Mike Williams went off for three touchdowns. I mean, like that made it pretty clear to everyone what this guy's capable of, but. I just don't think the situation is right for him to smash it this year. Jaguars third round tight end Josh Oliver has shown a good rapport with Nick Foles. Uh, Interesting. I mean, like with the wide receiver situation the Jaguars have, there's maybe room for a tight end to produce. Again, I'm not crazy about betting on rookie tight ends, but um, Oliver is a, a pretty attractive prospect and there's not really a lot of serious veteran competition ahead of him so i guess that would be a um no shit it's been 10 years since the ffpc filled their first dynasty league and they've now grown to be the world's largest dynasty league commissioner with leagues as high as five thousand dollars to enter ffpc are active and competitive and not a single league has ever folded Brand new startup dynasty leagues are forming right now, starting at $77 and up in standard, superflex, and best ball formats. FFPC also has plenty of other great redraft formats, including best ball drafts starting at $35 all the way up to a $1,250 entry fee. Both slow and live leagues are filling and launching daily. You've heard me and Blair talk about the FFPC a little bit, especially when it comes down to best balls. I love playing there. I know Blair loves playing there. So go register for a premium league starting at just $35. Go to myffpc.com and you'll see us in the lobby. Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, it's pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. The moon, yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. All right, getting into news item number three. Titans GM John Robinson wants Marcus Mariota to avoid unnecessary hits. Uh, Pat, injuries have cost Mariota eight games since he arrived in 2015 and uh, limited his effectiveness in several others. So the Titans are kind of coming to the point where they have to decide whether Mariota is their QB of the future. Uh, What are your expectations for Mariota and the Titans passing attack this season 
Oh, God. Well, first of all, I mean, I can understand their interest in seeing him take fewer hits because he was basically the guy from the game of operation last year (laughs) with the injuries he had. Um, There was the elbow issue with the nerve that, you know, was causing him like tingling in his hand or lack of feeling in his hand. And let's see what else. Cracked vertebra, broken rib, uh, sprained AC joints, I think, at the end of the season, plantar fascia. um, And I, I think I'm even actually forgetting a couple of things. I mean, this guy was just so beaten up last year. And uh, the year before that, it was like a hamstring issue and a knee issue. Um, I guess I know the consensus seems to be like to just turn your back on him. And, um, you know, like you do not see him above like QB 26 or 27 in people's rankings anymore. And I just wrote about the Titans and I, I, Wrote that I am keeping a candle lit for Mariota basically for three reasons. And one is that he's had all these injuries and it's, it's possible. Like, you know, we just haven't seen him healthy enough to perform at anything close to, uh, the height of his abilities. You know, I, like, I, I hate to see a season where this guy, you know, couldn't even, get full feeling in his throwing hands and having all these other injuries. Like, I don't want that to be the binding referendum on Marcus Mariota's ability to be a decent NFL quarterback. Like, um, and the other thing is that he runs, you know, he's got the Konami code factor. This is a guy who could conceivably get four or five rushing touchdowns in a season and maybe, you know, 300 or so rushing yards for you. And the third thing is he was just so good at Oregon. Like, it's hard for me to forget how effective he was there and, you know, like what kind of top prospect he was. It would be like if someone told you that four seasons into uh, Tua Tagovailoa's NFL career that he was considered a bust. Like, I just I wouldn't be able to believe that, you know, and. So I'm I'm not quite ready to give up on Mariota, but at the same time, there's some kind of concerning things here, like the slow pace of the Titans offense, like Pat Thorman just posted a uh, graphic showing how the teams have ranked in pace over the last five years. And I think the Titans are like the only team that's been like 24th or 25th or worse, like for five straight years. They basically play at a pace so slow, it's like your grandparents hooking up a computer by themselves slow. I mean, it's like, so that's kind of a negative thing. And, um, you know, the fact that they seem to want to run the ball, like I I don't know if they're going to be in game scripts all year where they can keep feeding Henry, Derrick Henry, the way they did down the stretch last year. It seems kind of unrealistic to think they can keep playing like that over the course of an entire season, but they want to, it seems like they want to. So I don't know. I'm really torn on this guy four years in. Like, I I feel like, you know, this is the length of a presidency and we still don't know where we are on Marcus Mariota. And it's, it's just kind of disconcerting to me. So what do you guys think? Help me decide on this guy. 
I'm with you in keeping a candle lit. Uh, I mean, um, the haters and losers are going to say it's fake, but uh, he was uh, he won games against um, Philadelphia in Week Four, Dallas and New England in Week Nine and Ten. Uh, they were a uh, unsuccessful two-point attempt away from uh, stealing a game against the Chargers away in, in London. And this is all through the injuries that, you know, Mariota has played. He threw for about 340 yards. And uh, uh, I can't find how many touchdowns. One touchdown, this was, uh, you know, two touchdowns. And then uh, he uh, ran for a touchdown as well. This was that Corey, break, Corey Davis breakout game against the Eagles. You know, he did very well against Dallas, New England, uh, Houston, uh, you, you know the New York Jets. But we've seen him reach a ceiling of twenty plus, you know, points in these. It's just a matter of the other weeks he uh, failed to crack even like seven points. So uh, you know, again, it's not like Mario. We haven't seen Mariota's ceiling at all. Uh, I mean, he he's exhibited it last year. It just it sucked because we didn't know when to play him, which I think is 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 what's really clouding people's judgment. I mean. Uh, I see the ranks, and I can see why people have him ranked that low. But again, I'm I'm with you keeping the candle lit, and I'm always gonna have a, keep a candle lit, especially for like a Konami code quarterback. And I'm gonna keep one lit uh, in this event because this is probably the best receiving core that Mariota has had in his career, um, which is sounds sad to say, but it's probably true with that they finally got you know Corey Davis, AJ Brown, um, hopefully a healthy Delaney. Um, and, and, you know, hopefully John Smith is able to get healthy as well. And they sign Adam Humphreys in free agency. So, you know, they put some money into the receiving core. Uh, I, you know, I mean, really a lot of like, the Titans' success has come from defense. So I'm hoping this is the year that, you know, we really see that this is, uh, that, that there is something new. But given that this is what Mariota's fourth offensive coordinator in five years, uh, uh, you know, optimism is waning. Uh, Blair, what are you doing with Mariota in, in, in Dynasty Leagues? And uh, if the Titans opt to not extend him, where do you think he might wind up? Uh, well, I have no idea where he might wind up. I mean, in Dynasty, I think I'm holding. Um, you know, I mean, it's hard to get a lot for him right now, obviously. I mean, even in Superflex Leagues. I mean, theoretically, I agree with you guys that... Um, you know, you should keep a candle lit. I mean, he's been struggling with injury and with really bad offenses pretty much his whole career. And he was, like you said, Pat, so good as a as a uh, college quarterback that uh, it's almost unbelievable that he hasn't kind of been able to perform as we expected in the NFL. Um, but, you know, in practice, I haven't found myself drafting that much of him in, like, best ball leagues, even with how cheap he's been. I mean, he's available in... I don't know, the 18th round of some drafts that I do, and I still don't find myself clicking his name. So, yeah, I don't know. There's some kind of disconnect for me between what I think should be the case and the way I'm actually approaching him. Uh, yeah, I guess the whole Titans situation has me kind of uh, a little bit uh, a little bit spooked or something. I don't know. Well, I think maybe that's a good point, Blair, that like best ball might not be the format where you want him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe con- certainly in conventional, I don't know, 12 team, 16 man roster leagues, like you're probably not going to want him there either. But, you know, the I'm sure a lot of your listeners are in super flex and two QB leagues. And, and that's where I think he gets kind of intriguing. Like, uh, you know, the Scott Fishball, you know, I think he'd make a great third quarterback or, um, 
you know, in a dynasty league where he's still young and, um, you know, particularly a super flex dynasty league. So depending on the format, I think he could be, you know, not at all compelling or a guy, you know, who you don't want to give up on yet. Colts his coach, Frank Reich, came away very encouraged with Devin Funches' performance at OTAs. Um, Pat, what do you expect the uh, Colts' aerial attack to look like this season? And do you expect uh, Devin Funches to, you know, eat into Ebron's volume or will he be like a um, will he eat into everyone's projected volume? And how, how do you think this like receiving course shakes out behind T.Y. Hilton this year? Oh, man, I think it is going to be the zombie receiving core where everyone eats into everyone's um after Hilton you know Hilton is going to get his and then it is hard to see anyone else getting like a guaranteed 600 yards or so beyond that like I'm not sure I'd bet any of these other guys get 600 yards like one one of these guys will do it I'm just not sure who um for Funches like I've I've never I've never been a big believer in Funches just because I'm like a Big Ten guy. I watch a lot of Big Ten football. And when Funches was coming out of Michigan, I was always kind of amazed that the draft Knicks had him as like a day two pick. I'm like, really? You know, I kind of thought he would be like a draft afterthought. And, I, you know, I just didn't. I thought he was basically a, um, you know, either a light tight end or a lumbering wide receiver. And honestly, I mean, nothing we've really seen from him has changed my mind that much. You know, he did kind of produce when he was basically the only game in town for the Panthers for a little while there. Um, You know, so maybe Andrew Luck likes him as a a big target and he gets four or five or six of, of Andrew Luck's 40 touchdowns this year, but um, does he get a substantial share of that passing game pie, even though it's a pretty big pie to be divided? I don't think so. I mean, I just think there are too many guys with with him and with Paris Campbell and Ebron and uh, Jack Doyle and, God, we've got Colts beat writers saying that Mo Ali Cox is in for a breakout. I mean, there are just so many <laughs> Deion Kane and Chester Rogers. It's it's just this cast of thousands in that passing game. So, um, you know, other than Hilton, I'm just not excited about any individual piece. For Dynasty Leagues, are you excited about Paris Campbell? I actually am. I, I did take him in one of my Dynasty drafts and Hassan I don't know if it's the one I, I do with you the overtime Ireland six it is it might, that is the one we're in together yeah and I, I think I maybe did draft Campbell in that one so you know I do have long-term optimism for him and um, the fact that he is you know paired with a quarterback like luck and uh, that he is just electrifying with the ball in his hands and uh, even though he was this really I don't know. I mean, the way Ohio State uses its wide receivers sometimes is just kind of strange in that system. And like I, he was the super low A dot guy, like his average depth of target at Ohio State was like 5.5 yards. And I don't necessarily think that dooms him to being that kind of a short area receiver. 
in the NFL. Like, I, I mean, I think with speed like that, you know, I, I think it would be crazy not to occasionally use him on some vertical routes. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty excited about him long term, but it's just, you know, give him a year to get up to speed and, uh, you know, let this Colts passing game situation maybe sort itself out a little bit where there aren't so many targets fighting for balls, you know? Yeah, I pretty much agree with everything you said that uh, it's going to be hard to find pretty consistent production from a lot of these guys. You know, one kind of interesting thing about this offseason is that Frank Reich seems to be very encouraged with almost everyone on his team. So he's almost, he's like the AFC Pete Carroll or something. So it's hard to really, hard to really uh, parse this kind of news. But um, do you find yourself, I mean, well, hang on. I don't know how to ask this. What are you doing with Ebron this season? I mean, he kind of is like the almost the end of a tear break at the tight end position, it seems like. And uh, I have a hard time a hard time drafting him at his cost, even though he's been falling a little bit lately. Um, any thoughts on how to approach him? Yeah, I was just going to ask you guys um, about how you felt about the Colts tight end situation. Cause it, it seems like, and, and I have to admit, I have been a little schizophrenic myself and the way I've ranked these guys, like coming out of it, I, I just thought, well, you know, Doyle's injury was kind of a major one. And I, I know he wasn't, you know, fully, it took him a while before he was able to, you know, run again. Um, you know, so I, I maybe had Ebron when I took, did my first pass at 2019 rankings. I, I probably had him a little too high, like tight end six or seven or something like that. And kind of adjusted and, and moved Doyle up some and moved Ebron down some. And then I briefly thought, what am I doing? You know, Doyle's going to get more snaps because he blocks and Ebron doesn't. And, you know, even though Ebron's going to get more, do more damage per catch, like I've got to get these guys like almost adjacent in the rankings. And I don't know, as of now, I think I've got Ebron like tight end nine and Doyle like tight end 16 or something like that. And um, I don't know, it, it just seems like, yeah, based on the, the crazy touchdown count, Ebron put up last year, someone's going to overdraft him in every league. And, um, you know, maybe Doyle is a, he seems to be a guy who lasts in best ball drafts. Like he's there late if you want him in a lot of these drafts. You know, I've taken him in a couple of them and, um, you know, I, I don't know if that's right. I know he's probably not, going to be a guy who averages even 10 yards per catch and i don't know how touchdowns are going to be divvied up with this group but um yeah i I just i think as much as i like ebron and what he can do i just think the target competition is kind of stacked against him this year and i just don't think he's priced real uh attractively right now are you guys the yeah, same I think the, on I think that? The better question is probably nah. I, I think the better question is what round would you consider taking him? Because he's he's slid in in like twelve team best ball drafts that I've done, and then I think it's only do I know that he's well past ADP, and he's like you know, um, and I'm forced with a decision is where I'm taking Ebron, if only because you know there's just so much uncertainty, like you said, like uh, 
there's no way to know whether or not Jack Doyle will, you know, re-aggravate what was an injury we don't exactly know particularly well about, but one that was very severe that kept him, you know, pretty much was uh, season ending. And um, there's no promise that Funches just sort of develops the same kind of rapport. What was interesting uh, with Locke, what was interesting was that, like, Ebron did it as the only game in town. So, like, therein becomes a, a bit of a question about, you know, positional scarcity in that I guess if I was going to chase someone on a crowded offense with a good quarterback, why not the tight end, right? Like, it's a slot that we have to, uh, to unfortunately, um, 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 uh, fill with a player. And, uh, and, I, and, and just it just... I don't know if, if, if this is like, you know, I, I'm very, very light on Ebron. I will say this, and I've only taken him when he's really slid. Uh, but, you know, I, I don't know if I can justify a full fade of him, regardless in best ball. But then you also find guys who I'm fairly optimistic about later in drafts, like, uh, you know, Mark Andrews, Mike Kosecki, uh any of those guys. Like, so it's just, it's just a very weird dead zone for like Eric Ebron, as far as best ball is concerned. And, and about for, for structured, uh, uh, you know, sit starts. In dynasty leagues where I own Ebron, I'm pretty much holding. Uh, he's one of the tight ends I'll roll out. I don't even care about that position in uh, uh, in, in, in non-TE premium leagues. Um, but uh, as far as, uh, you know, uh, redraft goes, uh, non-TE premium, uh, I, I also uh, ignore the position. It's a, it's a very big hole in, in my game in that I just don't like paying up for the tight end position. But I feel like every time I do it, I just wind up with uh, hitting the grenade and it uh, pretty much uh, tanks my uh, tanks uh, my season. And um, so I just, you know, it's just one of those things wherein maybe Ebron makes for a better season long type of play if he's on waivers and we, you know, injuries thin out the depth chart or we figure out how this like play goes along. I just don't know how I can invest in him pre, you know, before the start of the season. I, like, I'm with you. I'm just very confused. Um, yeah. I mean, maybe, and this was kind of a weird situation. I'm in a dynasty league. It's it's the the fantasy pros invitational dynasty league, and I was sitting somewhere in the second round, and it was in the rookie draft this year, and it was just a pick. I I wasn't comfortable with like any of the options available, and someone jumped in and offered me Eric Ebron for the pick, and I already had Jack Doyle, and I took it. And like, what occurred to me in that minute was that like. It's kind of a messy situation, but like if either of these guys got injured, like the other guy would probably smash, you know? So that that's possibly the thing that we should like look at as as maybe the uh <laughs> factor we're not considering. Like if one of these guys got hurt the way Doyle did last year, I mean, look, Ebron just blew up. And, uh, you know, the same thing could possibly happen with Doyle if, if Ebron were to go down. Um, you know, there's there's definitely a path to a big season for either of these guys if, you know, there were injuries involved. Um, if everyone stays healthy for the season, it's probably going to be a little bit messy. But, yeah, I mean, uh, I don't want to discount Ebron entirely because he's still young. He's really athletic. I mean, he has a, you know, now has a, a very monstrous season on his record playing with Andrew Luck, who's obviously comfortable finding him as a, an end zone target. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, there are there are some things to like there. Like the target competition is fierce, but you know, I I I think right around the hundredth pick in a draft, maybe. Does that sound about right? Which would be what early ninth for Ebron? Seems like a decent spot. Um, you know, because I once like I don't know once OJ Howard and Engram and maybe Hunter Henry are gone. Like I'm kind of waiting before I hit that third tier of tight ends, um, you know, and maybe some people see Ebron as like at the end of that second tier with those guys, but I, I kind of would not be real anxious to wade into that Jared Cook, Eric Ebron tier, which I see is more like the third tier of tight ends. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, and seeing Ebron, uh, not quite on the same level as the as the guys going right ahead of him and Howard and Ingram and Henry. Um, I mean, it's possible that just with his efficiency and kind of what he did in the touchdown department that he's earned more targets and might be able to get them. But uh, like we've been saying, it's hard to see where they come from. So uh, yeah, you're really banking on another another uh, crazy efficiency season if you're taking him. So it's uh, definitely a little bit uneasy, you know, considering him when you're, when you're on the clock. All right, that'll do it for this edition of the Fantasy Football Report. Special thanks to our guest, Pat Fitzmorris. Be sure to follow him on Twitter at Fitz underscore FF. Please remember to rate and review the Road of His radio channel on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to our Patreon. For Hassan Rahim, I'm Blair Andrews. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Fantasy Football Report. Please rate and review the Rotoviz Radio Podcast channel on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Contact us via email rotovizradio at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at rotovizradio. And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to Rotoviz at a 30% discount through the Rotoviz Radio homepage, rotoviz.com slash podcast. Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. They call you the grill master. You've seared the thickest porterhouse in the butcher shop. And as you lift that first forkful to your mouth, you savor the moment. To get amazing offers during the Mercedes-Benz summer event, like the 2019 C-Class sedan and GLC SUV. The perfect recipes of driving performance. Plus, you can enjoy six months of Sirius XM All Access included. The Mercedes-Benz summer event. Now serving limited time offers on a select lineup of vehicles. Offers end September 3rd. Mercedes-Benz. The best or nothing. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. 
legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history, relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.